Father, you know our needs. You know the things that weigh heavy in our hearts today. Some, some are maybe small matters. Some of them are big matters. But all of them are within your reach. So we trust you with, with those. We lay them at your feet. We release our anxiety and our desire to control. And we trust you, your way, your time. We pray for healing. We pray for reconciliation. We pray, God, for conviction and repentance. We pray for comfort. We pray for strength. We pray for peace. We pray for unity in the church. We pray for our country, God. We pray for our communities, our neighbors, and those who are hurting. Thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask that you forgive our sins, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that your spirit be at freedom to speak to us, open our hearts, our minds, and help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's word calls us to, to prayer and to and to pray together and to pray for unity. And so we are calling ourselves to pray for unity this month. And that's the theme of our message today. We have been going through the book of Ephesians and have uh, started with chapter one and gone through uh, every chapter, every portion. And now uh, we come to a message that I've entitled Embrace Oneness. And there are some commitment cards that you should have received when you came in. If, if you didn't get one, perhaps the ushers could make sure that everyone has one of these because I'm gonna uh, refer to them at the end of the message. Uh, so commitment cards that say Embrace Oneness. Uh, I, I wonder how much you value unity in the church. How important is that to you? And and if you understand what your role is in that, what is your part in helping for the church to keep unity? Uh, as we talk about that, let's, let's go to our text this morning and we'll begin in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. And we'll read the first couple of verses. The Bible says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The scripture calls us to keep the unity of the spirit. It calls us to embrace oneness, to be intentional about the unity of the church. So let's break down a little bit today. The first thing I'd like for you to notice is that we are called to accountability. 
The first verse of chapter 4 marks a transition in the letter to the Ephesians. It, it uses the word then. And the implication is that when you use the word then, there's something that has come before. Since such and such is true, then this is the implication. Since, since we have agreed on these things, then this is what we need to do. Some versions use the word therefore, and it has the same function. It has the same purpose. It's a transition. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul reminded his readers of their calling. And, and he reminds us of our calling as followers of Jesus. We've, we've talked about being chosen in him. And how there is so much richness that we should be eager for him. We've talked about being raised by him to a new life. We've talked about being one in him. And last Sunday we talked about being powered by him. All of that is included in our calling. And now Paul in this transition in the letter says, since you have that calling, now live a life worthy of the calling. The first three chapters in Ephesians tell us who we are in Christ. And then the last three chapters are going to tell us how to live in Christ. We've said here at, at Calvary that being a disciple is about being like Christ and about doing the things that Christ would do. It's about being and doing. It's about character and about competency. It's about faithfulness and fruitfulness. It's who we are and what we do. That's what a disciple is. So as we start this fourth chapter of Ephesians, we, we go from our identity to our responsibility. We go from doctrine to ethics. Someone has said we go from isness to oughtness, from what is true to what ought to be. We go from information to application from the transcendent to the eminent. So, so today we're going to be very practical. In fact, I'm going to ask you to respond to today's message in, in very practical ways as we've been talking about doctrine and now it's time to talk about action. We're both called and we're accountable. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to, up to Austin where our son is in nursing school, our youngest uh, child is in nursing school. And and they had a white coat ceremony. And this signaled the transition from the first two years to, to now he's doing clinicals. And as a director of the nursing school was going through this white coat ceremony, she was telling the students, look, when you graduate from here, you're gonna have competencies, you're gonna have skills that you're gonna learn to be a nurse. But today, she said, as, as we have this white coat ceremony, we don't want to focus so much on competency, although that is important. We want to focus on compassion. As you deal with patients, we want you to know that you represent the school and the vocation. And this white coat is a reminder of what you represent so that when you deal with patients, you deal with them with compassion. Uh, you, you carry out your calling in a way that is worthy. And the Bible reminds us that we are God's chosen people. We may not have a white coat, but we've been dressed with white robes. And we've been blessed with an incredible salvation. And now we represent. We represent the kingdom. And we represent the king. And we have a great responsibility. We need to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. 
And so he talks about showing humility and, and gentleness and patience and forbearance with one another and love. All of those things have to do with the way that we relate to one another. And so why is that important? Why is it important that being, living a life worthy of our calling be about humility and forbearing one another and loving one another? Well, that leads us to a second thing that, that we need to notice today, and that is that we as a church were created for unity. We often think of salvation as an individual experience, don't we? And it is. The church doesn't save you. You don't, you don't get saved by joining the church. The church does not dispense salvation. Salvation is a personal experience. When you come to Christ and, and you trust him as Savior and Lord, it is a personal commitment that you, you make and he saves you as an individual, but then he joins you to his body. He joins you to the church. Discipleship is a community experience. Christ has established his church as one, the Bible tells us. That's his design. That's his purpose. It's not an accident. It's not something that would be nice. It is the truth. Our calling then is to embrace that oneness. We don't have to create it. God created the oneness. God made the one church, and he called us to be a part of it. So he says, act according to your calling. Keep the unity for which you were created. Let's keep reading our text, uh, picking up on verse 3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice that this exhortation is to keep the unity. There is already one body. There is already one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That's already a reality. We don't have to fabricate it. It's already true, but that's who we are. What we're called to is to embrace that and to keep that, to value it, to maintain it. There are three ways in which this passage tells us that we can do that, very practical ways in my estimation, and I want to share them with you. The first one is that we are gifted for service. The Bible reminds us here that each of us has, that has trusted Christ as Lord and Savior has been gifted for service. Look at verse 7 again. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The word grace in the Greek has the same root 
that we use for the word charisma. When you talk about someone having charisma, you say, oh, that person has a lot of charisma. What you mean to say is they're gifted. They have grace. Uh, they, they didn't learn that from a book. They didn't buy it at a department store. It is something that was given to them. People, you either got it or you don't, right? That, that, that's what we mean by charisma. But the Bible tells us that every single believer in Jesus Christ has charisma, has grace, has the gifting. You don't get that at, at, at HEB. You don't get it at trade school. You don't get it in seminary. You don't get it in Sunday school. The Holy Spirit gives it to you. The Holy Spirit endows you with a gift to serve. <clears throat> it is not a gift to keep to yourself. It is not a gift to, to show off to others, look how good I am at this spiritual gift. Man, I'm good. I'm better than others. That's not what it's about. Your spiritual gift is so that you can serve one another in the body. <clears throat> look with me again. In verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Christ has given different spiritual leaders to the church. He, it talks about apostles and prophets. Those, those are particularly important in the first century. Uh, they're important roles in leadership. I, I don't believe that today they exist in the same way, although I, I believe people can be gifted in an apostolic way or in a prophetic way. And then he talks about evangelists. Also, that Christ has given evangelists. Those evangelists are people who are gifted <coughs> to share the gospel in, in a very extraordinary way. All of us have the responsibility and the privilege of sharing the gospel, but there are some people who are gifted as evangelists, and we know some of the vocational evangelists, we, we all think of Billy Graham and, and the gift that God gave him to lead millions of people to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We, we get to share Christ, but he was gifted in that way. Church planters are gifted in a way that they can, that they can reach new people for the kingdom. God has given those to the church. And then he says that God has also given pastors and teachers. The pastor function is, is a shepherding function. When you think of a shepherd, you think of nurturing and encouraging. You think of somebody who protects and leads. Who, who, and then there's a teaching function, the, the feeding, the spiritual uh, nurture of the word of God. Apostles and prophets and evangelists are, are functions that are given to the church at large. They're part of the global church. But pastors and teachers are given to the local church. They, they have a specific role in the local church. But all of these spiritual leaders that God has given to the church are given by Christ for the same purpose. What purpose is that? Well, the text tells us to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. God's design is that the ministry of the church be carried by the people of the church, you see. Spiritual leaders don't have the monopoly in ministry. The ministry doesn't just belong to the so-called clergy or the ordained people. It belongs to all of us. 
All of us have been given us a gift. All of us have been placed so that we can have a ministry. It's true that pastors can pray and, and they can visit the sick and they can preach and they can help others. They can counsel. They can comfort the bereaved. They can give leadership. They can be present in moments of crisis. Pastors can do those things and should do those things, but they're not the only ones that can. Every believer has the ability to do many of those things. Every believer can pray. Listen, I'm going to give you something that may come as a surprise to you that every believer can pray for the meal. You know, I, I just, you don't, don't take this the wrong way, but every time that I'm in a gathering and we're going to have a meal, they ask me to pray. I'm thinking like, are they afraid that if they pray, the letters is going to wilt? Or, or, or what do they think is going to happen? You know, when you bless the food, it's not the person that blesses it, it's God who blesses it. All of us can pray. All of us can share the gospel. All of us can be present in the moment of crisis. All of us can visit the sick. All of us can give counsel and advice. All of us can use our spiritual gift. This is not something that only ordained people can do. The most important thing that a pastor can do, according to the Bible here, is to equip all believers to do the work of ministry. To equip believers to do what he has gifted them to do. And the most important thing that a Christ follower can do is to minister according to their spiritual gift and their call. This is how we keep the unity. This is how we serve together. I remember when I was in seminary many, many, many years ago, uh, one of the statistics that professors would share with us was that in the typical church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I thought, but that's not right. How can it be right that if, if, if Christ has gifted 100% of his people, each one has received a gift and a ministry, how is it possible that only 20% carry most of the work? And then as the years went by, we read articles and information that in some churches, it's 10% of the people that do 90% of the work. And I said, well, it doesn't say here in the Bible that God has given gifts to 10% of the people. God has gifted 100% of his people. God has given every believer a spiritual gift so that all the people of God can do all the ministry of the church. And the sad thing about it is that in, all, in some cases, those same percentages apply to giving. That in some churches, 20% of the people give 80% of the budget. And, and, and we think about it, well, yeah, but you know, some people have more money. We always think when it, comes, when it comes to giving to the church, we always think that should be for the people that make more money than me. But when it comes to buying a car, we say, oh no, that, that car is for me, right? It, it's, we have double standards sometimes, but you know, it's not about who has more or who has less. It's about the privilege of all of us together participating in the work of God. Can you imagine if all of us together would give according to how God has blessed us? When God's people give to the work of the church, it's not just a financial win. It's a spiritual win. It is embracing unity by, by giving together for one same cause for what God has called this church to do. What, what a joy it was uh, several weeks ago to have the ribbon cutting and uh, the grand opening of our student uh, center. It, you know, it, it was a special occasion. We did that on a Wednesday. 
and, uh, and it was before the, the semester, but we had a full house. We had children and students, we had adults, even the McAllen Chamber of Commerce showed up. It was a great time of celebration. As we were, as we were dedicating a space that, that we had invested so much in so that our students can continue to grow as disciples of Christ. It was a very special occasion. And as we were talking about the program for that night with the staff, we were saying, we really want to have a short program and a long time for fellowship and enjoying food and, and just celebrating. But one of the f- difficult things is, as we were trying to do the program short, is to say, how are we going to recognize everyone who has had a part in this? I mean, we had a, a capital fundraising team. We had a design committee. We have a building and grounds committee. We had a project manager that, that, that did an excellent job of, of leading that. We, we had an interior designer. We had an architect. We, we had staff that was invested in the project. Students did things with their hands. They, they prepared artwork. There were people who had special projects for fundraising. There were multiple donors. And, and the list goes on and on and on about everyone who contributed. And at the end of the day, I hope that what we walked away with was to know that when we do something great together, it's not because of one person or a small group of people. That when we do something great together, it's because a lot of us came together and we shared the responsibility and the privilege of doing something and then it becomes a beautiful thing. And so uh, as as we look at what God calls us to do here, uh, we, we realize that's what it is. That's what a church budget is, you know? A church budget is the church doing together what no individual can do. It is the church embracing unity. We're gifted for service. Uh, secondly, we're, we're grown by the truth. Uh, the verse, verse 15 uh, of our text is instead speaking the truth in love. You know, when falsehood surrounds us and lies are all around us, we grow in becoming the body of Christ by speaking the truth in love. In the body of Christ, there's no room for concealing, for lying, for deceiving. We are called to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we don't like the truth. The truth is not always comfortable, but the truth is always liberating. We sang a little while ago that if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And, and Jesus also said that if you know the truth, The truth will set you free, and the truth will grow us up into unity. So embrace oneness by growing in the truth. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit by speaking the truth in love. And thirdly, guided by love, our motivation for serving, for speaking the truth, for giving, should be love. That's what verse 16 says. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. In love. As each part does its work. When we serve together in love, the body gets built up. When we speak the truth in love, the whole body grows. Some people want to speak the truth with no love. And that becomes divisive. Or becomes hurtful. But the ligaments of the body, it tells us here, is love. It's when we love God with everything we've got and we love each other. We need more of that love, don't we? 
We need the love that, that makes us one, embrace oneness as you do everything that you do in love. And then lastly, the scripture here compels us to maturity. You know, unity and maturity in the church are closely related. Often when a church is fragmented and divided, it is also spiritually immature. Often when, when a church is mature, it will show it by its unity. Let's re read the last portion of our text today, beginning with verse 13. It says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit by serving with our gifts, by speaking the truth in love, we will become mature. We will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know what that means? We will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will no longer be spiritual babies that can easily be deceived or discouraged, but we will reach a level of maturity in Christ. I remember growing up as a boy at home, my parents had a, a door frame of the closet where they would mark our height. So I would stand there and, and they would mark with a little line how tall I was and put the date and my name and then my brother. And, and you know, I would compete with my brothers even though it wasn't fair because I was the oldest. And, uh, and, and it was, we always looked forward to, to going up the next time to see how much we had grown. And one of the most exciting things for me was, was to think about the fact that one day I might be as tall as my daddy. One day I would be as tall, as big as my daddy. When we look at the scriptures, the scripture tells us that one day we as the church are going to be as tall as Jesus Christ. That we're going to grow to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And our Heavenly Father is tracking our growth in unity and maturity every step of the way. His heart's desire is that one day we will grow up to be exactly like him as a church. So how do you think we're doing? How do you think we're doing in our growth, in our unity, in our maturity? How much does our church reflect the fullness of Christ today? Well, I like to think that we've come a long way and it's true, but I also know we have a long ways to go, don't we? And so we, we keep growing. And we do it by praying, by serving, by giving together for the building up of the body of Christ. We'll keep growing towards maturity as we embrace oneness, as we value the unity of the body of Christ. Will you do that? Will you, will you be a part of that? Will you make every effort to keep the unity? Are you willing to do your part so that the body of Christ is built up? Will you pray? Will you serve? Will you give so that God's will is done in our midst?
so that we grow up to be like Christ. This has been a difficult week in terms of losing loved ones in our church. Uh, sometimes as a pastor, I, I get to be with families that lose a loved one almost every week. This week has been especially difficult. We, we lost one of our ABF leaders, Enid Olson, went to be with the Lord Thursday. She was in our choir. She was at our ribbon cutting. She was one of the members of the capital fundraising team just a few weeks ago. Vibrant, serving people, caring for people in her ABF, in the choir, wanting our students to, to, to thrive as disciple makers. A precious lady using her gifts, using her time as a senior adult, and then the morning after she passed, a very close friend couple of theirs, Earl Hudson, one of our deacons, passed away Friday morning. Earl was just at our deacons meeting about a month ago. And, and the Lord called him home. And Earl was one of our best deacons ever. Every deacon has assignments to visit the elderly and the widows. Earl will always ask for more. He's always caring for, for elderly, visiting the hospital, visiting nursing homes, praying for people, being with people in difficult moments. Both Enid and Earl understood what it means to serve with your spiritual gift, to, to, to pray, to serve, to give. They lived that out until the very last moment that God called them home. And I... I'm not sad for them because they lived fully for Christ to the last minute and because now they have received their ultimate healing. I'm not sad for them. I'm sad for us. And I'm sitting here wondering, who's going to take their place? They ministered to a lot of people and they did a lot of great things. Who's going to step up and take their place? Who's going to live the Christian life like Enid and Earl did? And it, and it caused me to think about my own service to God. So today, I want to ask you to make a commitment. It may be a commitment to pray in a very special way this month for the church. It may be a commitment to, to step up and serve with your spiritual gifts some way, somehow. It, it may be a commitment to, to start participating in the giving and the regular proportion of giving to the church, maybe you haven't been a part of that. And, and today you say, I, I realize I need to do that. Not, not because the pastor said so, but because the Holy Spirit is telling you this is a privilege that you get. There's a commitment card that you should have received when you came in, and I hope you have one. And it has several options. It says, in obedience to God's word, to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Today I commit by faith to, and then he gives you the option to participate in a season of prayer for unity in October. You can check that and then there are more details that you can select. To commit to serve with your gifts in ministry and then he gives a list of ministries that you can sign up for. To nominate someone to serve as a deacon or a committee member. Maybe you know someone that we haven't noticed that needs to be a part of that. 
or to commit to give regularly and proportionally. We call that tithing. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your head and, and pray as you consider your commitment and, and think about how is God calling you today to embrace oneness in a very practical way? What commitment is he asking you to make right now? Would you take a moment to consider that in prayer right where you are? And as the Spirit leads you, would you mark your commitment card? We're not going to ask for you to turn in these cards. They're not for us. They're for you, between you and God. This is not a, a commitment to please anybody else, but to be a part of what God has called you to be and do. So make your commitment before him. Father, we thank you today for your word. We want to live a life worthy of the calling. We want to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And as we do that, we know that you call us to a commitment. We commit to pray this month, commit to serve with our gifts. We commit to give according to the way you have blessed us. And we don't do it in our own strength. We pray that we do it in the strength of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Help us to grow up as a church to unity and maturity under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Bless Calvary Baptist Church in a special way that we may honor you in all that we do.